0: Hey y'all, welcome to Detoxicity, a show about progressive masculinity. I'm the show's host and producer, Mike Joseph. If you enjoy what you're hearing on the show, I kindly ask that you smash the subscribe button on whichever platform you're using to listen. Also, please don't hesitate to rate, comment, and recommend. If you have someone in your life that could get something out of the conversations we're having here, tell them about the show. Also, feel free to follow me on social media. I'm DetoxPodGuy on Instagram and TismikeJoseph, that is T-I-S, Mike Joseph, on Twitter. You can even email me, DetoxPod at gmail.com. Don't hesitate to reach out if you know someone who might be interested in being interviewed on the show or if you have any other ideas or constructive criticism. Most importantly, I thank you very much for listening. Stay well. Jesse Stanford, like many of the guests on Detoxicity, does many things. By day, he's a junior high school teacher. By night, he's a creative, making music under the name Lesser Sparrow. New music coming out August 13th. He's also a brand new dad. You'll find out how he juggles those things during our conversation. You'll also find out how he has moved past his suburban upbringing to learn more about the world how he's moving past his own sensitive temperament to listen to helpful criticism and become a better person, and how he moves past his own self-doubt to make music. A lot of forward motion here. Let's listen into what Jesse has to say.
1: My name is Jesse. I feel like the first thing I just have to say is like I'm an artist. That feels like the most true, although I do a lot of different things. a musician. I also am a teacher. I teach middle school. I'm a new dad. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's probably my new favorite job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I take it that to mean you haven't been peed or pooped on yet. I
1: have. I've been peed and pooped on but she's just so fucking cute man. <laughs> right on. And yeah that's me. I New Yorker for almost ten years. So where'd you, where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Connecticut. I grew up outside of Hartford, Connecticut. It was, by all accounts, a pretty pretty idyllic setting. Great family, loving family, good schools, trees, suburbia. But it's, it's interesting to reconcile that with realizing that I just really hated it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, a lot of people who grow up in those types of environments say that they dislike it? Uh Why did you dislike your environment?
1: It's been an interesting journey with that question because I've thought about it at different parts of my life. And I think at the time, growing up there, I didn't fit in. I wasn't gelling with this place. And so I was naturally just thinking, it's on me. I'm like a shy weird kind of kid what made you weird though was it something that you're
0: looking at now retro retroactively mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or in the moment where you are like holy shit i'm a fucking weird ass no
1: i think again that was it's kind of like my internal voice growing up i think the biggest thing that i was dealing with then was anxiety okay and a lot of social anxiety which i've made some real significant <laughs> gains on but back then it was really really tough It was really tough for me to just feel comfortable. And I think what I've realized, it was actually like a really empowering kind of realization that I've only really kind of come to recently, relatively recently, is taking those feelings off and that responsibility of not feeling like I fit in off myself and that it's just that place. Farmington, Connecticut, it's just not my, my my place. It's not my people, it's not my tribe. And I think it was moving to New York and finding my people that I realized I need to stop being so hard on myself about why mm. that time was difficult for me and why I didn't feel like I really clicked. And I just don't have that sort of like, oh, that's my hometown. It's my home. Let's no, go. That,
0: that small town hometown. Yeah, that John yeah. Camp pride, Yeah,
1: which it, it has a lot of that, mm. you know. I mean, homecoming, football games, all that stuff. But I could never really connect with it. And I, obviously I moved to New York because I'm an artist and musician. And I wanted to be around more. And I wanted to pursue it on a bigger, grander scale. And that's what I thought as I was making that move and while all those things are true I think the real reason why I moved was because I was looking for my people yeah. and I was looking for my community I was looking for diversity uh, I take it yeah
0: Farmington Connecticut is not the most diverse
1: no place in the world not at all
0: and I say that with no a with no malice and b with yeah. no knowledge of what that particular... I mean, the parts of Connecticut that I've been in have been fairly white.
1: Yeah. So... It sounds about white.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, just just, just making sure.
1: No, it's... Yeah, and it's in the somewhat recent past where I think so many of us have been really dissecting our pasts mm-hmm. and what we were brought up to believe and, again, reconciling with, like... It was another thing that instinctually made me uncomfortable that I couldn't name at the time.
0: Right, because I was going to ask, is that something that you were able to identify when you were young? Or is it something that you couldn't put your finger on back then, but as you get older and you develop the language?
1: Yeah definitely more of the latter for sure and again that's something that contributed to me feeling ultimately like l- leading me towards feeling better about myself sure because I put so much pressure on myself and so much of the blame of why I didn't really enjoy and I don't want to make it sound like I, I had no fun of There's course God. I had a great group of friends few but great but yeah there was just like that unnameable part of your soul that just isn't being fulfilled and it just wasn't there. And part of it, too, was just being uncomfortable with how cookie-cutter and homogenous, everything really felt. And growing up in Connecticut, I was only two, two and a half hours away from New York.
0: That can be a big gap.
1: My buddy and I used to, to take the bus down, and we'd go to a bunch of record shops in the city and buy, like, bootleg, Beastie Boy CDs. Sure. And I didn't have uh, a record player at the time, but still loved to look through and just, like, marvel at all the different albums. And it was just a palpable feeling. Walking around Bleecker Street, just like, oh, shit. So like, you
0: knew that you needed to get out of where you were? Yeah. Were you formulating a plan already, or was it just this feeling that I, I shouldn't be here. I want to be there.
1: It was a little bit of both for a while, like going through high school, I felt like it was more of a pipe dream. I didn't have a lot of like opportunities to see the avenues there, even though they were plenty. I just like had trouble seeing it, but I think as I started to grow as an artist in Connecticut, that was like such a obviously pivotal moment for me in just self-realizing, self-actualization, getting in front of people for the first time and playing my guitar and there being that back and forth and and getting positive feedback even in those early open mic days. And that grew, okay, yeah, maybe... That is the avenue, and that's the reason to be in New York, making it work. So, yeah, I think music and art was the spark to get me to find where I belonged.
0: Okay. When did art, was there a conscious, there must have been, right? Like a conscious decision that I wanted to be an artist. Mm-hmm. Then I wanted to, when, when did that happen? When did you decide to pick up a guitar or, or pick up a whatever and decide that you wanted to express yourself artistically?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think there was like a seminal moment. It was sort of this slow evolution that started with guitars being around the house. Okay. My mom played a little bit. My grandmother, her mom was a piano teacher and a guitar teacher. So there was definitely music. Oh, yeah. And from an early age. And my parents played a lot of music. So they had a record collection. So I definitely, immediately listening to the Beatles and classic rock and Joni Mitchell and all that stuff, certainly made its way in. And. I remember that I used to pick up the guitar and just, like, mime (laughs) my
0: CDs,
1: (laughs) you know? uh, Yeah, super cute. That's
0: kind of adorable. It
1: is kind of adorable. Although I was really awkward with, like, huge glasses. So if you actually (laughs) saw me, you wouldn't have the same adorable feelings, perhaps. But, yeah, so I think it was really, like, the end of high school... It was interesting, I was playing i started to, and then I actually like started to to teach myself and learn i didn 't really take lessons. I was sort of blessed with a pretty good musical ear that's s- that's a gift I, one i 'm really grateful for yeah. absolutely i think it's really it's gotten to me where where i am i don 't know how to read music i know No theory. Musicians who I sometimes collaborate with, I drive them crazy because I have no language to speak to them. I'm just like, what I'm doing. (laughs) Do this thing. Do this thing. Uh, (laughs) So it has its drawbacks, but it came really natural. And that was exciting because I hadn't really found something like that before, especially being in a place where I didn't feel a lot of acceptance or community I was like, okay, like this feels good.
0: This is something that I can bond with.
1: Yeah, exactly. But even that took a long time for me to be like, this is my thing and this is who I am and this is what I want to do. So it was a huge time just being in my bedroom learning the Beatles songbook or Nick Drake songs. And I think it was at the beginning of college, a friend took me to an open mic. And I had no intentions of playing, and I didn't play. But there was one in Hartford. There was, and still is, a somewhat small artistic community. And that was the first time that I'd seen that side of where I lived. That was really exciting. And it was just a seminal moment for me. As I watched people play, I was like, I'm better than that <laughs>
0: <laughs> you say that so haltingly he- with, with, with well, hesitation e-
1: e- well i mean that's unfortunately a personality trait
0: i get
1: it th- to a fault i can be really humble but i think i was trying to sort of mimic the realization in the moment that again there was always sort of a distance between what i could do and what was happening out there as far as like New York and art and I grew up feeling like there's that and then there's me and I couldn't bridge that gap sure and that first open mic I think really started to bridge that gap so I'm seeing these artists and I'm seeing these musicians and these poets and they have this confidence that I haven't figured out yet but it was big it was like oh, I can do this. And I came back the next week and did it, and I literally didn't stop playing music in front of people since forever. You just went
0: ahead and did it. I did it. There was no, like, oh, shit, no thought process of, I'm going to get in front of people (gasps) and do this thing, and this is frightening, nothing like that?
1: I mean, yes. But the counter feeling, the whatever that was pushing me was so much stronger Gotcha. which was again a really new feeling but it it was really exciting because i hadn't felt that before i think that was a real turning point for me and i'm sure it was very shaky <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I, mean, I don't no, know
0: mean no no one's first performance is perfect of course
1: yeah it was an interesting experience but it, it was big and it became this really interest really cool f- feedback loop of like okay i want to have something to play the next time, ne- for next week, so I'm going to write something, and then I go and play and and get a good response, so that makes me want to keep going, and, and so it organically built, and it was like, okay, maybe I should be playing with other people, and it just kind of, it went from there. So,
0: what, did writing songs, come, writing your own music, come into the picture before or after that?
1: It came pretty quickly, because... I was never really good and I've never been really good. I always wanted to be that person who could either pick up a guitar or plop down on a piano with a bunch of people and do the sort of jukebox thing where I just could lead sing-alongs and stuff. But I never had like the knack to or the patience to after sort of like teaching myself on some basic songs. I never really had the patience to learn a lot of other people's songs and I was really quickly drawn to make my own because if I wrote my own song then I would play it perfectly Uh, you know what I mean
0: you play it the way you want it heard yeah
1: exactly (laughs) and no one could be like oh like that's not how you play that because I have never been a very technical musician it's so much about feel and I realized that I could get to the heart of what I was good at and my talent. And I'm actually just realizing this right now. I
0: like, you're having an illuminating moment. I I
1: am. I'm realizing that that's why I did it, because I had a very early instinct of what I was good at. And it was writing, both lyrics and, and coming up with melodies. And I think I realized, yeah, learning somebody else's songs doesn't really showcase that as much as if I just do something myself. Sure. Huh. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, I, man. I, you
0: know, I... Oh. Wow. Happy to help. <laughs> I, inadvertently. Uh, your lyrics are personal. Yes. Do you ever feel weird I- exposing? Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. So
0: the mm. first time I, I listened to your music, I was like, alright, this dude has feelings. Mm. And, I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, this, no, the yeah, premise yeah. of this show is dudes having feelings yes i guess there's a couple of questions that come from that where do those feelings come from and at what point did you say i'm going to put my feelings into this music and how does it feel hearing it in retrospect like having your deep thoughts
1: yeah you know played back diary well it's interesting because i think it connects a bit to the epiphany that I just had. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just, this is the first time anyone I think has had an epiphany
1: on this podcast. Listen.
0: First time for everything, man.
1: I'm I'm glad to be your first. You're really gentle. You really helped me get there, man. I appreciate I, it. I think there's a part of me that sometimes wishes and I've tried throughout my musical journey and career to write about topical shit or something more narrative or something more abstract and I feel like the forces of nature and of what pours out of me and what feels right ultimately when I'm creating it's feel like I said and any kind of like strategy like just ruins it sure and that's not a a novel idea but it's very true and so any attempt at being like oh I'm gonna write this kind of song and part of what I experienced growing up part of what I think was difficult was I was was and am very sensitive I pick up a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. and I think as an artist that's a very good good place to be
0: that's a quality you want
1: absolutely but it also puts you in a very vulnerable space that Sometimes I wish I had some other tools and ways to write because I sometimes feel like I'm giving away too much or I'm not sure how other people are going to feel about it who are close to me. There's a lot there, but I I really can't go any other direction and it's what's honest and uh, you know I do like to swirl the paints of like metaphor and and i stay away from real literal stuff but okay at the end of the day it's it's I mean you asked a couple questions and I don't feel like I haven't answered really any of them <laughs> but <laughs> yeah where does it come from or what am I writing about and it's ultimately about relationships and I mean that in like Broader, the broadest the universal sense. universal sense I think it connects to being sensitive and being really affected by the relationships that I have. People with, with my environment, my wife, past lovers, yeah. all that stuff. It's all in their ex-bandmates. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. It's all swirling around in there because when I get to that stage of writing, it's when I try other things or maybe don't go there, it just doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel like what the song is asking for. And cer- certainly some songs are a bit more confessional than others, but that's usually where I go and I've accepted it. And
0: It's not a bad quality. It's interesting to me that every time you say the word sensitive, you chuckle a little <laughs> bit before you say it.
1: Well, that's that toxic masculinity that's been burrowed into my skull from Farmington High School and football team.
0: I wonder, from a cultural perspective, a lot of times, the whole discussion around sensitivity, where you feel like people who grew up in more suburban environments are are more apt to be okay with, with exploring thoughts and feelings because they might have access to... Sure. To things like therapy, Absolutely. but maybe not because a lot of toxic masculinity does seem to come from parts of the country that are not very cosmopolitan.
1: Sure. And I think there's a lot of parallels to to a lot of what I think so many of us are uncovering in these current times is the subtle violence. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's way more damaging, you know, and it's like, I grew up in a town that I was blue, but recognizing that there's a lot of subtle racism and misogyny throughout, once I started to unpack all that and really look at it, it's pervasive. And, and I think basically summarizing a lot of things that Malcolm X has pointed out and Martin Luther King it's like it's that progressive attitude that's a lot more damaging than somebody burning crosses Right. you know I mean
0: and I think you see more of that I've seen significantly more of that I I guess I can't be general there I've seen more of that than the opposite it's the we want everybody to have equal rights but y'all can stay over there over there there you can have your equal rights yeah
1: yeah it's been an illuminating year. (laughs) Plus, I think I was already beginning to open my eyes to this and then George Floyd just flung the floodgates open for so many of us and it pushed me further into the work that I do as a teacher in Brooklyn and re-examining what I bring into my classroom every day as a white heterosexual male who fits the description of all the privilege in the world. And it's been frightening, but it's ultimately really empowering. And it makes me just reevaluate again. Why do I cringe when I say I'm sensitive? Why do I have that knee jerk? I've been digging a lot into my being so precious with what I put out into the world as far as my art and things having to be so cr- crystalline perfect, yeah and that it's just another tenet of the same thing, it's just that supremacy just drilled into us, and that grind culture like you know burning out yeah i got
0: i got feelings about that yeah,
1: for sure yeah it's very real and i feel like i'm just at the tip of of the iceberg on unpacking all this stuff but i think just being able to acknowledge it and i really appreciate my school community we we have a lot of space to talk about this stuff and to lean into the discomfort and make mistakes and call each other on it but in a good way in a sense like if you call me out on stuff it's because you care about me right
0: it's not out of malice it's out of wanting to educate
1: right which only happens in like these little small pockets mostly like everyone's just livid and angry yes and want to just fight with each other yeah
0: yeah they want to it's it's projection but it really does. Sometimes I feel like the work doesn't get done unless there's a positive nurturing. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, yep. And then other times I feel like some people need to get beat upside the head a couple of times before they... So I don't, I don't I know. know exactly it, no, where I stand on. No,
1: that's a tricky dichotomy because part of it is I'm willing to do this work and I'm willing to really investigate my inherent racism as a white person, but please... Do it in a in the the way that be, best right. suits be to me. Be sensitive to, me. to right. me, and I've caught myself with that a lot. And you just move through these stages, and I've certainly been working through that, and have been catching myself feeling like, yeah, I'm on board. But be nice to me, right? I mean, and people you know,
0: don't like hearing negative things about themselves, or right things that relate to them that can be perceived as negative, but. Sometimes You can't sugarcoat everything
1: No 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 no
0: And So yeah you're right It is a very strange dichotomy Because sometimes It is like Okay I understand that I need to be sensitive here And Even in my own experiences With misogyny Or Or Transphobia or whatever Mm -hmm. Like there have been times When It's been like Okay Mike You said or you did something Wrong And I think Every time I've been told it It's been told out of like Wanting to educate As opposed to wanting to lash out right but as a sensitive person it's also kind of like why are you telling me (laughs) this like i'm trying the best that i can
1: yep it's yeah and that's why it's a really hard road you know but it's with so many things talking about wanting to put music out that's perfect and being afraid to do anything but Again, it all falls under this thing of where I'm trying to get is to lean into that discomfort and realize most of the beautiful things are there.
0: Yeah, it's freeing, man.
1: It really is. And I like to pretend that I'm further along (laughs) than I am. But I am doing little things. Having finished a record that I'm, I'm going to be releasing this summer, I'm in the selling mode, which I hate. Sure. I love to make music. I love to make art. I hate to sell music, and I hate to sell art.
0: But if you plan on making a career out of it, you have to lean into the selling. You have to.
1: You have to. And and that for me has been part of this leaning into the discomfort. I think it came up earlier. I'm humble to a fault with a lot of this stuff. I feel like, okay, you can listen to my music if you want, but like I I totally get if you, yeah, yeah. And again, I think it stems from an anxiety. And vulnerability and maybe it's tied to the kind of music I make and are you going to like it? What are people going to think? And those are deep rooted feelings and responses. So there's a lot there but I think I'm grateful to be re- releasing this record at the same time at this moment in my life. I think it's all coalescing in this way that I'm just becoming comfortable with that anxiety and that comfortability and realizing a lot of it's in my mind and moving <laughs> through it. And I think there's the all of beauty in those those blemishes. People actually I get better responses from the little not polished clips of me working on a song that I'll post that I would never have done in the past than sometimes a finished product. Sure. And I think I'm learning more when I take a risk and speak up in a room about something to do with social justice, where I've almost always felt like this is not my conversation, but realizing, yes, this actually is very much my conversation, and it's really on me to speak up and to reflect and to change and to take that step into making those conversations and right. being a part of that conversation with a very high risk that I'm going to say something stupid or potentially hurtful. But
0: that's fine.
1: It is because that's how you grow. That's how you learn. That's yeah, how you exactly. learn. So that's been big. And it's interesting to have these things happening congruently that are ultimately working to just, Progress you know
0: and I, I'm with you there. I know a lot of people who are afraid to take risks, yeah, and that can mean any one of a million different things and I was like that for a long time. when I was in school, I was never the person who was going to put their hand up yep. because I thought that if I said something, yeah it was going to be an idiotic thing right or the wrong just the wrong answer or whatever it was. sure, so it took many years. For me to become confident enough to metaphorically or for real stand in front of people and put myself in a situation where I might not have the right answer to this question. And that's cool.
1: Yeah, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah.
0: Was there a particular thing that got you to that point? And this is another one of those things where it goes a few different ways. Where I don't think, I think most men have a level of confidence that allows them to say dumb shit (laughs) but they don't realize they're saying the ones that have the confidence to say dumb shit don't realize they're saying dumb shit right and the ones that don't have the confidence are maybe the ones who should be speaking out more
1: absolutely yeah
0: and that's just some weird way of the world shit
1: yeah exactly you're saying something that reminds me of a quote that i'm gonna butcher it's the assholes of the world who think that they're right and don't shut up about it and it's The people who are willing to start to understand or I'm definitely butchering this quote this is is, I'm off the rails but it's that same idea who those who don't speak up usually are the ones that have some sort of answer or some sort of light into understanding is
0: it like a politeness thing
1: possibly I don't know I'm not sure
0: was there something that led you to this realization was there a particular event where you were like, okay, i got to make some changes?
1: Again, there wasn't an open mic moment.
0: It's a good analogy.
1: <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I'm going to use that now for... for <laughs> an open mic oh, moment. An, an open mic moment. This one a- actually did really feel a lot more or- organic, and I think it just has a lot to do with my school community where I work. I, 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 I work really close to here up in, in the Flatbush area of Brooklyn and i'm lucky enough to really have a really great community of people who are willing to like have these conversations and and really think about the subtle impact that you have every day when you're working with kids. Mhm. And that is a community i didn't know back in high school, but that's part of the community that I was longing for and that I needed that I could never name. And I didn't even know it when I first started there, but it felt right. And I've been there for six years and that's for a charter school. It's, it's a long time to be there as I think as the world has started to open their eyes, this small school community has been there along the way. And it's just been really empowering and eye-opening and each moment allows for a new level of reflection and understanding like where is the racism inside of me where is the the misogyny inside of me where is the ableism inside of me and it's just a matter of being on this journey of being more conscious little things like instead of saying hey guys to a group of kids and it sounds silly but it doesn't sound silly but it, it does to an older version of me right and
0: or a younger version of uh, you actually uh, yeah, but right, I, know, right. I know what you mean I don't... <laughs>
1: an older volume yeah just trying to be more aware in the language the vocabulary that i use yeah, I'm and not... then i'm bigger i'm bigger you know and really recognizing this system of white su- supremacy is huge.
0: It's funny, I I was nodding my head vigorously when you were talking about the you guys thing because that's something, and I don't remember who pointed it out to me, it's something I've been conscious of for a couple of years because the knee jerk is always to say you guys. Sure. It doesn't matter whether you're in mixed company. You could be in a group of all girls. All girls, and yeah, (laughs) and and say you guys. Yeah. So that's one thing I've become very conscious about scrubbing from my vocabulary. Yeah. Because it's not inclusive and you want to be as inclusive as possible in in a group of people to make everybody feel welcome. That just seems like basic decency. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. I can't seem to wrap my head around the millions of people who fight back against that concept because it's so easy, ultimately, and it does so much. It brings me back to the topic of where I grew up in my high school. A big thing that's happening in my town right now is they are reevaluating our high school mascot.
0: Uh oh! What's your high school mascot?
1: The Farmington Indians.
0: Ah, yeah. Well, there you go.
1: <laughs> Big profile in the gym of Native American warrior because our whole country is is you go far back enough, it's Native American land. Yes. But the thing that really gets to me because. Against my better judgment, I dip into some Facebook chats and oh, old, old high school friends. Jesse. I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. you so crazy. I know, I know. I'm getting better, <laughs> but I think because it's so actually personal, it's harder for me to I, resist. I get it. <laughs> but yeah, there's people who are just hanging on and arguing against changing it. And, you know, I was a farming, there's are like, Whitest people like in New England. I, I'm a Pintan Indian. You know, like no, and, no, no, you're not. And you know, and I get flashes. I, I was, I was on the basketball team, and you know, there were for a time, I really loved basketball. And it ultimately, was a, the game was great, but like the group of people, I had a really hard time with. But I remember going into games and doing the warm up drills and the layups and the three man weave. And all the kids in the crowd were doing that, like tomahawk. The Atlanta Braves tomahawk chop, basically. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, it's not something I don't want to pretend that I was this really woke seventeen-year-old. Right. right. And to be honest, I was probably in the stands of a football game and trying to fit in when was tomahawking along with them. But again, being like thirty years now, twenty-five years out and seeing people still like grasping onto it it's just really strange and it's so it takes nothing away from you and it gives so much I it's agree. like wearing a fucking mask yeah. it's so easy yeah and it does so much and it's hard That that's a tough thing to like reconcile with
0: what one thing i don't get and you might be able to explain this to me you might not And it's specifically about sort of suburbia and rural culture. Yeah, is how do people get their identities so tied up into a mascot?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, what twenty years
0: after the fact they're still like, "What
1: is what is Donald Trump but just a big caricature mascot?" You know, what a lot of people, what a lot of white people need to are reckoning with and dealing with in the wrong way is that. We never have to fight for our identity. You know what I mean? So many white people see something like Black Lives Matter. And in a way, they're kind of like, well, I'm in pain for whatever reason. Right. Where's my cause? Right. And it ends up being... I love being a Farmington Indian. I love being anti-vax. I, I love Donald Trump because it's a innate need to belong to be a part of that group but to be white and privileged in america means that you didn't have to fight for anything and you have to invent things to fight for yeah
0: it's as simple as you know something i have brought up a couple of times is looking at me and you you walk into a room you're jesse i walk into a room i'm a black guy first yeah then i'm mike maybe
1: Right, absolutely. It,
0: I don't imagine you wake up in the morning like, oh, I'm a white guy. <laughs> but I wake up in the morning and my blackness and to an, a, a lesser extent my queerness informs every single thing that I yes. do throughout the day. Yes. It informs my interactions with people. It, inter- it, it, it informs what happens when I swipe my Metro card through the turnstile at the subway station. It informs what I eat for dinner. It, it informs all of that stuff, consciously or unconsciously. Sure. And that is something that in America, and most of the world, that whiteness doesn't have to, you know... No. It excuses all that.
1: Yep. I'm trying to find the right words. But it, it creates an experience on both ends that are vastly different. But at the end of the day, we're all looking for such a similar human experience. And I think... If you're not willing to, to recognize the disparity in those experiences, you just think everyone's the same. I don't see and, color. You, know, you just wake up and you do your thing and it's like you just got to work harder and all those platitudes.
0: The world ain't like that, man. Uh,
1: it's not real. And again, it's like, in a way, I'm sort of grateful that I was an outsider to that culture growing up. Because I feel like I'm closer to to deprogramming a lot of it. So,
0: that actually is a pretty neat segue into fatherhood. Because you're a new dad. Mm -hmm. You're a girl dad. Yes. You're a biracial girl dad. Mm -hmm. What has that experience all in the last, I guess, year or so? Yeah. Uh, What has that been like? Because that's a lot to take in on a normal basis. Never mind everything that's going on in the world. And then COVID and blah, blah, blah yeah (laughs) and making music on top of all that
1: yeah no it's another piece of this grand puzzle that I think I've been touching upon and we've been touching upon as as the timing of things seems to make sense and grateful to be aware of the journey that I need to be taking as as a, a person in this world and specifically as a white male in this world. And I'm grateful that my daughter Nina is here with me at this point because my eyes are wider to what is out there for her. And and yeah, but it's tough. You know, I, I certainly watched and continue to watch the news cycle of just the last year as... My wonderful wife Nicole made her way through pregnancy, and you just in those spare moments turn on the news, and you're just like, What are we doing? Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a little cliche to be like, no, I don't want to have kids because I don't want to bring, bring, bring another. It. I think that's the cop out in a, a silly philosophy, but it's it, oh, it, real, it, shit. it makes its way in yeah. real ways too. And it's just like, This is scary. There's a disease that is killing people across the world. Mm -hmm. People are breaking down our government, which ultimately is not a terrible thing. I just wish it was different people people. bringing down the government. It's those same idiots. I feel like it goes
0: back to the politeness conversation from from earlier. Exactly.
1: It's those same idiots who won't shut up who are the ones who are doing it. So that was scary, but it's really hard to talk... (laughs) about my daughter and, and not fall into a lot of the parent cliche stuff. Oh, she's so cute. Oh, she's growing so fast. <laughs> I say it like all the time. And oh, I, I, I just got to own it. But I, I think it also stems from, from my students and the conversations that I have. They're seventh graders are so far advanced than the kinds of conversations I was having at their age with my peers and my teachers. And I think this happens every generation, but there's just a lot of hope that I still really cling to, and I see it in my students, and I see it in, on their own, they're celebrating Pride Month right now, they're, they're, you know...
0: Which is something, I mean, yeah I could not have fathomed right. in seventh, I mean, I didn't know what Pride Month was <laughs> until I was... 19 or 20 yeah so
1: exactly so yeah it's those glimmers and then you look at your daughter and when i can move through the fear i am filled with immeasurable amounts of hope for her and what um she can do and what will be available to her as we try to progress and be better as a culture and as a people.
0: Yeah. I mean, that one thing to note is that the world is a lot different now than it was when we were young and people young people have access to information that we would not have dreamed of having in the 80s and 90s thanks to the internet and social media that they can challenge they can challenge the dumb adults in their life and do it intelligently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's real. And that's what ultimately you're trying to instill at the end of the day. It's like questioning, thinking critically, not accepting what's right there, and pushing back and discovering yourself. So more than anything, I'm just so fascinated in meeting this person. And obviously, the parenting side of things is so crucial and... We're reading all the books and <laughs> following all the YouTubers and whatever it is to do right by her. But ultimately, it's get out of the way. You know, show her some great, great music and read her some amazing books. But get out of the get way, out of way, yeah. And just let. Her, and I can't wait to meet her and continue to just see what she she brings and. That's it.
0: it's ongoing right like it's who jesse is hasn't fully developed yet right uh, the same way who your daughter is is going to take a lifetime to develop it doesn't stop at 18 or 21 or 30 or whatever it is like it's it's continual work in progress
1: i like that perhaps another epiphany is upon me you Uh-oh. might you might have got a two i don't for think we a... can do two epiphanies <laughs> in one
0: episode jesse we have to bring it back for the second epiphany <laughs> yeah
1: yeah. No. I, I think it was definitely precipitated by COVID and the lockdown just the re-examination and in that re-examination of all things but mostly internally and what's most important and how do I want to spend my time and what relationships are worthy and which ones aren't and, and all those things I think we were finally given some space to think about and for me it's like So many things are coalescing. This record I'm about to release that I I really was able to to finish in lockdown. Lockdown really afforded that. And it does feel very much, as I close in at the end of my 30s, like a very new chapter. And I like this idea of growing up with my kid. You know what I mean? I hadn't really thought of it like totally like that and so it's like we're on these parallel lines and we've got a lot to learn from each other yeah, man. and I think that's another like tenant I've been able to capture from teaching like those weird power dynamics that probably you grew up with with it's not part of my practice and luckily it's not in I it's not part of our school's sort of vibe in It's just about building relationships and figuring each other out and knowing that there's no stop in the growth and the learning. And so being on this like parallel line with with my daughter Nina feels like a cool way to think about it. So, thank you. Thank you. What insurance do you take?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's so weird. I'm like, when did I become uh, Dr. Mike all of a sudden? Holy shit.
1: I recently had two different therapy sessions in one day, which is not...
0: That's unusual. It's
1: a little unusual.
0: With two different
1: therapists? (laughs) I'm really outing myself here. I won't go into the backstory, and it's not usually what happens, but I feel like I'm in a very therapeutic zone. Sure. Just this week. I mean, like, a lot. And, yeah, started to try to meditate and be mindful and get into that practice. I think... This time feels like I'm really a lot more ready. I keep saying that, but this one feels good. You
0: can stop and restart. I feel the same way about meditation. I'll start and then I'll stop. And even some people I've interviewed for this have been like, dude, it's not a race. It's not something you win at. It's not something you become the best at. When you feel like meditating, meditate. If you miss it, don't beat yourself up. Just pick it back up when you're ready to pick it back up.
1: My big takeaway for meditation which is what is going to help me this time around I remember a lot of times thinking a lot of us get in our minds of what meditation is and what it should be is sort of like Siddhartha under the lotus tree oh yeah reaching nirvana in that state and so I've spent a lot of times meditating thinking like i'm working towards in this moment reaching this state where i finally turn off my brain this incessant voice that continues to talk i finally get to turn it off and like i'm in the cosmos and i think the the switch in in how i want to approach this now reading a bit more and and trying to understand it really it's the meditating is the practice and to get the tool for when I 'm in a situation where I would usually get really upset or angry and maybe be hurtful to my wife or to a coworker or something, having the practice brings me their nirvana in that in that moment where it actually matters right who cares if i 'm in the cosmos when i'm alone in the dark right it doesn't serve really anybody what i 'm realizing now is no it's building. A skill set so that when I get triggered by a comment that I take too personally, if you didn't know I'm kind of sensitive.
0: (laughs) I did not figure that out. Alright,
1: but I'm letting you know now, (laughs) that when I feel that knee-jerk to be really sensitive, the meditation, that's where I find bliss. And it's not like this hour-long nirvana, it's like, no, you take a moment to chill out. Right. This isn't about you, man. I'm going to disengage. I'm going to disengage. I'm going to separate myself a bit from this emotion, this feeling, whatever it is. It's temporary. It doesn't even really exist. It's just here. So I sound like I'm some guru now, at least to myself. It's real. It's so real. It was another sort of understanding that I think is helping me feel like, okay, I think I understand now what the point is. I think a lot of times I would stop because I was like, I'm not getting it, yeah. I'm not, I can't even sit, Indian stop, there I go, Indian stop, oh my <laughs> that's gosh. That's
0: something you don't, yeah, <sighs> you right. cannot sit cross-legged.
1: No, exactly, I cannot sit cross-legged, so I can't do this, but it, that's, that's not, silly. not what it is. And so it's just all part of this next chapter of learning and, and growth.
0: Love it, it's what we should all aspire to. Hey.
1: Work in progress.
0: As we all are, man. We're all works in progress. That's something that's important to know. And I think if you realize that, it'll help you give grace to people who may not be as far along on their journey as we are or as we think we are. We're all faulty people. None of us is perfect. We all certainly make mistakes. And, again, I think that giving grace is sort of the best thing that we can do, within reason. I'm still from Brooklyn, and you know you give people uh, a reasonable leash you don't let people walk all over you or prove their stupidity to you time and time again but i think if people are willing to learn if people are willing to do better then you give them the space to do better and uh, it's important for me personally to consistently do better so thank you jesse for sharing your journey with us Uh, his debut album comes out august 13th so make sure you're on the lookout for that You can go to LesserSparrow.com and uh, find out more about Jesse. And I missed an opportunity when I did not ask him what Lesser Sparrow meant. How did I forget to do that? You can also follow him on Instagram at Lesser Uh, Looking forward to hearing your music, Jesse, and uh, wishing you all the best. Thanks again for listening to this episode. We really hope that you stick around and listen to future episodes or past episodes if you feel so inclined. You can obviously listen to Detoxicity on the podcast platform of your choosing. And if you want to get in touch with me, please hit me up on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy, Twitter, tis Mike Joseph, or you can email me at detoxpod at gmail.com. Always willing to hear constructive criticism, thoughts, ideas. Real, realizations and if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show or you know somebody who would make a good guest i will take recommendations from now until the end of time so please feel free to reach out to me i want to thank a couple of people who've been very important to this show uh, calvin williams composed the music that you hear at the beginning and end of every episode jacob block composed the logo or created the logo for the show. And I want to give a special shout out to Andrew Grossman and Jeff Giles for providing inspiration for me to come up with this idea and bring it to fruition. Once again, thank you all for listening. I really, really appreciate it and take care of yourselves. Peace.